You'll be shocked. You'll be amazed to hear what some great Christian leaders actually said and believed. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, how long have we tell, uh, been telling you about the pushback that the radical left, that those who oppose our viewpoints, that Satan himself, wherever you want to categorize things, make it a spiritual battle, a natural battle. I'm not saying everyone on the radical list is Satan himself, but you get the point. How long have we been saying that radical left, these others who want to silence us, will overplay their hand? How long have we been telling you that and that there will be a pushback against it. Well, we're seeing yet another example of it as promised, as expected. It's good news. It's bad news that things have to get this far before there is a pushback. But it's good news that the pushback is taking place. That's why we are introduced every day on the radio as your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution, not moral, cultural, and spiritual capitulation. That's right. Welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Brown. Here's the number to call 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. In the bottom of the hour, I'm going to start an interview with my colleague and fellow author, Frank Viola, about his new book, Regrace. And you say, what? What interesting title. Some very interesting things have been taught and believed by major Christian leaders over the years. The book subtitled What the Shocking Beliefs of the Great Christians Can Teach Us Today. Very interesting. So we will be, we will be speaking with Frank Viola beginning at the bottom of the hour. But first I have some other things to share with you. Uh, Before I get to the pushback, before I get to the good news, let me paint a picture for you of of how extreme things are. I did my first outreach lecture at Yale University in 1993. So that's before some of you listening were born. All right. That's before probably most of the students at our ministry school were born because they're, you know, maybe closer to 20 or early twenties at some late teens. So yeah, this is going back 26 years. I did my first outreach lecture at Yale University. And while I was there, gay activism was not on my radar at that time. It wasn't until 2004 that God really burdened me to reach out to the LGBT community with compassion and to resist the radical agenda with courage. So, 93, this was not on my radar, but I was shocked to see how radical and strong the presence of LGBT activism was on the Yale campus. Just visiting there, being around it, talking to some of the students, I was shocked. That was 1993. All right. Was it, excuse me, was it last year, year before, that article came out saying that there were more students at Yale who identified as LGBT than identified as conservative? Mind-boggling. 
absolutely mind-boggling. Uh, let's look at this headline. It's from The Federalist, and uh, it's subtitled, well, the title, excuse me, I thought I could be a Christian and constitutionalist at Yale Law School. I was wrong. It's under the category of censorship on the conservative website, The Federalist. You would think that the number one law school in the country should be a cut above the rest, but it's actually an environment of intense hostility towards Christians and constitutionalists. And the author of the article himself is uh, just identifies as Catholic, so he's, he's not identifying as an evangelical. He wasn't one that was like super militant, aggressive uh, in the school setting, like he was going to be battling everybody. He just thought number one law school in the nation or considered by many the number one law school in the nation, that it would have respect for other viewpoints. And he realized that you could, you could not speak up and speak out without serious consequence. At Yale, at Yale University, the end game has always been silencing our viewpoint, suppressing our viewpoint, marginalizing our viewpoint not getting into healthy dialogue with our viewpoint, not sitting down and having an exchange of views with our viewpoint, not saying, look, you believe this strongly, we believe this strongly, let's talk about it. We believe you're wrong. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it in an open and honest setting. No, the goal has ultimately been silencing of our viewpoint. I've written about it for years. I Listen, I don't feel... Like, I'm this, we're the tiny persecuted minority and everybody's out to get it. I, listen, even if we were the tiny persecuted minority, my mentality is we're overcomers in Jesus. My mentality is 1 John 5, 4. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. That's why we are overcomers. My mentality is nothing can separate us from the love of Messiah. My mentality is we're more than conquerors, no matter what comes our way. I'm simply sounding the alarm. I'm simply being realistic. Here, let's say you were the previous generation at Yale when things were more tolerant and where the climate was somewhat different and you didn't speak up and you didn't speak out and, and you didn't take a stand and you were an administrator, you were a faculty member, you were a student, you are a donor, you had some other role in the school, influential role, and you didn't speak up and you didn't speak out well, now there is this climate of extreme hostility for those who go there. You say, well, Christians shouldn't go there. Okay, so you abandon Yale, which was founded as a strong Christian school in the late 1700s, right? Very clear, very definite Christian goals. So you, you get rid of that. That's, no, that's number one. Uh, so you're going to just abandon Yale. Okay, what about all the people that Yale produces? They go on to be presidents of the United States. They go on to be influential leaders in academia. They go on in a host of different ways to have great and tremendous influence. So you're just, just going to let them be trained in this environment. No, you, you can't just capitulate and give up territory and say, okay, we just leave. Okay, we leave. Okay, well, you're, you're the business place, the place where you work, the workplace is hostile to, to your beliefs. Okay, just leave there. Friends, Pretty soon we'll, we'll, we'll be meeting in caves somewhere simply because we chose to. Because all we did was retreat, 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 retreat. Instead of stand and speak and work to make a difference and, and, and persevere and pray 
and sow seeds and, and challenge false ideologies and do everything else we can do to make a difference. No, we don't just go in the closet and hide. Why in the world would we do that? It's one thing if, if, if some radical opposition, let's say some radical Islamic terrorists were, were coming through your neighborhood with all kinds of weaponry and, and you know, you're, a, you're a mom home with your kids and, and you've got a place in the basement where you can hide and no one's going to know it. Well, then that makes sense. You know, <laughs> you're not going to fight, you know, with your teeth against people armed with all kinds of sophisticated weaponry. Yeah. Or to get out of there in a hurry. Jesus said in Matthew 10, when you're persecuted in one city, flee to another. There are times when you do that. But when, when no one right now is physically attacked, oh, there are attacks here and there. They are happening. Let them be exposed and brought to light. But for the most part, it's an ideological attack. For the most part, it's intimidation. For the most part, it's an attack on social media. It's, it's an attack in the classroom. It's an attack in the workplace. It's an attack in the schoolroom. It's an attack among peers and things like that. For the most part, that's the case. There is no reason for us to flee. What we need to do is take stands. You say, but, but, but if I take a stand, they may hate me. Well, we already promised hatred. That's a good thing. Well, if I take a stand, they may uh, alienate me from the... Okay, Jesus said we'll be put out the way he was. And, and look, even if it came to being killed for the gospel, we rejoice. We, we rejoice because we're being treated the same way Jesus was treated. It's the ultimate privilege. We don't look for it. We don't try to provoke it. Again, I don't have some, some martyr mentality where, you know, my life has no meaning unless I'm getting attacked. No, not at all. I'm perfectly happy to live a day without being slandered or maligned. I'm perfectly happy to, to, to go on a college campus without us having to have police protection, you know, according to the campus. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to go to certain countries I can't go to now be, because of radical Islam and things like that. I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not even allowed in. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to not have those situations. Gladly. But the fact is, we're promised opposition, we're promised persecution, we're promised hatred. And Jesus said, if you save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life for my sake in the gospel, you'll find it. So we, we lose our lives by bowing down to what people say. We lose our lives when we become slaves of public opinion. We lose our lives when we become slaves of, of fear of man or slaves to the praise of man. We find our lives when we die to that and say, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm here to do your will, whatever the cost, whatever the consequence. And then in the midst of our weakness, his strength is manifest. In the midst of our weakness, Jesus is glorified. You can say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm afraid. Lord, I, I'm confused. Lord, I, I, I don't know how to handle these things. That's fine. He knows anyway. And then he'll give you strength. It's by his strength that we live. Yeah, I am by nature the type of person that will run towards conflict. I am by nature the type of person who will see something that needs to be confronted, and my tendency is to run towards that. But I don't rely on that when doing spiritual battle. I don't rely on that when, when I am in the midst of, of battling satanic forces. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the demons that hate those people as well. Yeah, the, the devil hates the radical left. The devil wants to destroy the radical left, just like he wants to destroy believers. I mean, he, he hates the human race, but he hates those who are exalting Jesus and shining the light in dark places all the more. 
But I'm not relying on Mike Brown's confrontational nature. That's just going to start fights. I'm relying on the Holy Spirit working in me and through me to push back forces of darkness that are trying to destroy our generation, just like they tried to destroy every other generation. And with my eyes fixed on Jesus, there's not fear, worry, or insecurity, or panic. There is faith and confidence because Jesus died and rose from the dead. And that is more than enough for me to know all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. Therefore, we don't go backwards. We go forward in Jesus' name. All right, friends, we come back. I want to talk to you about major breaking news, a major case that will encourage you. Stay right here. Is the gospel fire we want for fire we It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to the Line of Fire. 866-34-TRUTH, the number to call. Did you catch the latest article that I posted on the stream and on AskDrBrown.org with lots of great quotes from my wife Nancy about abortion? It's called We're Trashing Our Humanity as We Trash Baby Parts. Uh, some great quotes from Mother Teresa as well. Some of the stuff we talked about on yesterday's broadcast here in written form and expanded. And with these quotes that you can share with others that I believe are very, very powerful and worth sharing. Okay, I, I said there was some good news about further pushback. So I didn't even know about this, uh, just been busy traveling and writing and catching up on other things. So I was not, not even aware of this until I got a note from my colleague Al Parada at the stream. But there has been a major victory, a major victory in the case of Colorado Baker Jack Phillips. Uh, many of you remember what happened to him. Um, and here we have CBN News reporting Jack Phillips vindicated as, quote, Overwhelming evidence exposes state, quote, hostility against Christian Baker. All right, we'll, we'll pull that article back up in a moment. But let me give you the background. Jack Phillips, Masterpiece Cakes. He's going about his business. He served many gay individuals, gay couples over the years. It's never been an issue. Gay couple comes in wanting him to make a wedding cake for them. He explains why he can't do it. Why? He's a follower of Jesus, and he can't lend his artistry, he can't lend his creativity to this project. Very simple. And to me, it's, it's no different than, in, just in terms of a similar situation, there are massive differences otherwise, but it's no different than a, a Christian guy going into a, a, a T-shirt, place you know they, they custom make t-shirts for you and things like that and he says hey i need a thousand t-shirts and it's owned by a gay couple i need a thousand t-shirts that uh, you know we're doing this campaign about the meaning of marriage and and, and we don't believe in gay marriage so what we we need uh we need a thousand t-shirts and what what we want to have 
It's like two men holding hands and then the red circle and the line through it. Uh, and, and then on the, the front, we want to have 1 Corinthians six eleven. such were some of you to show that Jesus sets people free. And this gay couple, they could easily say, um, no, we're not going to do that. That's, that's totally offensive to us. That violates, you know, us or, you know, who we are and sends a message we totally agree with, disagree with. Sorry. I mean, there's like 10 other t-shirt places in the, in the city here, you know, go to one of them. Uh, but no, we, we can't do it in good conscience. Great. Fine. I respect that. The law shouldn't say you have to do it. You say, well, should it cost them business? Well, if that's offensive to other Christians, yeah, then let it cost them business. And if what Jack Phillips did was offensive to other gays, let it cost them that business. That's fine. You know, people have their viewpoints and there could be consequences. That's it's fine. But it's, it's utterly outrageous to think that the court could. And then in America, where, where our most essential rights have to do with freedom, freedoms, freedoms, that someone could say you don't have the freedom of conscience. You don't have the freedom of religion. It's not a matter of buying something. That was never the issue. If that same gay couple came in and said, oh, we'd love that cake there. Great. He's not going to say, well, are you gay? No, that's not the issue. If, if a Muslim came in and said, hey, we're doing this celebration uh, in our mosque and, and it, you know, it's this anniversary of the Prophet Muhammad's ascension to heaven and, and we want to have, you know, our, our slogan, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And, and the Christian baker says, yeah, actually, you know, I know your idea, the cookies with this inscription on it, these big cookies that, that would, you know, that's very meaningful to you, but I'm Christian and and... I don't, I don't agree with that. And it's for me to produce those as a problem. You don't sue the guy. That's fine. The same way if I went to an Orthodox Jewish shop and I said, I'd, I'd like you to print up these, these, uh, this is a t-shirt owner, you know, t-shirt company. And, and I'd like you to make all these t-shirts that say Yeshua is Lord. Yeshua is the Messiah. You know, uh, he could, no, I'm sorry. That's, that's contrary to my belief. Perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Who would have an, an issue with that? You don't, you don't force someone to do that. Now, in the same measure, if, if a Jewish believer in Jesus came in and said, I'd like to buy that T-shirt, you sell it to the person. All right? If a Muslim came in and said, I'd like to get 100 cookies, you sell them the cookies. If a gay couple comes in and says, um, hey, you know, we're, we're having a celebration next weekend and I, I need 100 cupcakes, I'd like those cupcakes. Whatever they're using, you're not there to police what they're using it for. You sell them the cupcakes. But if they ask you to design something, if they ask you to contribute your artistry and ability to their message, obviously people of different faiths and backgrounds are going to decline. And that's perfectly fine in America. So anyway, <clears throat> Jack Phillips declines the business. He ends up being taken to court by the state and he's going to be nailed to the wall by the state for bigotry and discrimination because the state's laws say you can't discriminate based on sexual orientation. He said he wasn't, he was asked to contribute his artistry to a message he differed with and he couldn't do that in good conscience. Well, it gets all the way up to the Supreme court and the Supreme court did not directly decide the case, but they sent it back to, to the state of Colorado and to the courts there saying, you showed extreme 
bias against religion. You crossed a line here. And because of that, we are sending this back to you. So it was a clear rebuke. The court did not make a final decision on what happens when, quote, gay rights conflict with religious rights. Okay. And I say, quote, gay rights, because I don't think you have the right to ask someone to do something artistic on your behalf that they differ with, contribute to a message that they differ with or participate in something be, through which they'd be sinning themselves. Like a, a photographer asking to shoot a gay wedding and, and you, you don't agree it's right, you don't believe it's right, and you have an issue with the, you know, okay, I want you to, all right, a little kiss here, we got sunlight right behind you. Yeah, I understand as a photographer, you say I can't do that in good conscience. Perfectly fine, perfectly right. So the court did make clear, though, that Colorado's extreme hostility against religion was unacceptable. So the thing gets thrown back. So Jack Phillips, it's a victory, excitement, celebration. Well, not long after that, transgender individual comes in. Oh, you think he wasn't targeted? And, and you know, many times these people are targeted from the start by gay activists, quite intentionally. Sometimes they, it's just innocent, but plenty of times it's been targeted and quite intentional. So here, was it a lawyer, transgender identified lawyer? goes in and wants Jack Phillips to do something, you know, not sell him something as a transgender, but something in affirmation, celebration of his transgender identity. Jack Phillips, again, good conscience, can't do it. Once again, Colorado's civil rights and the attorney jail, they go after Jack Phillips. I mean, do they not learn? Is the hostility that intense? Is the hatred that, that, that unstoppable? that they, they don't learn the lesson when the Supreme Court slaps their hand. They don't learn the lesson. So let's put that story back up. Here's what happened now. The, the right within, this has not gone all the way up to the Supreme Court. But what's happened is this now. And uh, uh, again, the Alliance Defending Freedom is reporting that the transgender cake case uh, against Christian Baker, Jeff Clinics is being dropped ADF said it was nothing more than anti-religious harassment that came even though Phillips had just won his previous case at the Supreme Court. Members of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission who had come after Phillips have now been exposed by what ADF called overwhelming evidence of clear hostility toward religious freedom. Um, Phillips' masterpiece cake shop was under fire again because he said his Christian beliefs present, prevented him from creating a cake that celebrated the transgender transition. An attorney had targeted Phillips with that transgender cake. That same attorney later asked Phillips to also design a cake with satanic themes and images. The U.S. Supreme Court had already ruled in the previous case that what was, uh, was brought against Phillips by CCRC, that governments and state officials cannot show religious hostility in their decisions. Now there's new evidence. That's what CCR doing was doing. Excuse me. That's what CCRC was doing with their second legal attack against him. So according to ADF, the state of Colorado is dismissing its case against Jack, stopping at six and a half years of hostility towards him for his beliefs. Jack's victory is great news for everyone. Tolerance and respect for good faith differences of opinion are essential in a diverse society like ours. But the state's demonstrated ongoing hostility towards Jack because of his beliefs is undeniable. One commissioner had already been exposed for calling Phillips a, quote, hater on Twitter. And former Commissioner Diane Rice had called religious freedom, quote, a despicable piece of rhetoric, prompting U.S. Supreme Court to rule against the Colorado Commission for its anti-religious bigotry. Now, 
ADF attorneys have uncovered statements from a 2018 public meeting in which two commissioners voiced support for those comments. For example, Commissioner Carol Fabricio said, I also very much stand behind Commissioner Rice's statements. I was actually proud of what she said, and I agree with her. I'm almost glad that something the commissioner said ended up public and used because I think it was the right thing. So religious freedom is a despicable piece of rhetoric. And on and on it goes. So pushback, pushback continues. In England, by the way, 600 kids were pulled out of the school, something like 80% of the kids, by Muslim parents who had it with the, the school's aggressive and constant pushing of LGBT activism. They finally pulled their kids out. In the city of Houston, city officials backed down with their drag queen reading program to toddlers when parents kept pushing back. It's happening different fronts. It's happening around the world. Let's do our part in the spirit. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. We don't do a whole lot of interviews. Uh, we, we only have an hour a day and do our best to fill it with things that are on our heart and take your calls. So when we do interviews, we really want them to count. And this is why I've got my Colleague, fellow author, friend, Frank Viola, joining us today. He's, he's written a, a whole bunch of books, been a best-selling author for years. His burden is, is to help people deepen their relationship with Jesus and enter into a, a more vibrant and authentic experience, experience of church. Uh, among his most popular books, God's Favorite Place on Earth, From Eternity to Here, Jesus Manifesto, he's worked together with Leonard Sweet with George Barn and others, but he's got a brand new book out, Regrace. And I, I was reading some of the blogs he was putting out before the publication of this book. The subtitle, What the Shocking Beliefs of the Great Christians Can Teach Us Today. Uh, some of it I was familiar with. Some of it was brand new to me. So this is going to be a really interesting discussion. Frank, welcome back to The Line of Fire. Hey, Michael, my honor. Love to be on your show, brother. Appreciate it. Well, great. It's, it's my joy to, to have, have you with us. So first, tell us what prompted you to write this, and then what the title, Regrace, is all about. Yeah. Yeah, the story's interesting. If anybody is on social media, especially Facebook, uh, which in many cases is a viper pit, <laughs> um, you you are flooded almost daily with your social media feed being full of vitriolic uh, assaults and throwdowns and smackdowns uh, among Christians when they disagree with each other. And, uh, you know, the carnage just gets worse and worse every year. We have Christians, in effect, excommunicating each, each other on Facebook and on Twitter just because they disagree theologically or politically, and the world sees this. It is not a good witness at all, but, Michael, we have lost the art of being able to disagree agreeably, uh, to be able to receive a person 
respect them in the Lord and yet disagree with them on some doctrinal or theological or even political point. Uh, I made the statement that if murder were legal in the United States, the number one cause of death would no longer be cancer, heart attacks, or car accidents. I believe it would be Christians slain at the hands of other Christians over doctrinal and political disagreements. Mm. Uh, You know, it's gotten that bad. So I wanted to write a book that would kind of put the whole conversation in a totally different perspective, and uh, in so doing, look at all of the great Christians who have gone before us and recognize that all of those people who shape the Christian faith today, our heroes, so to speak, were not perfect in their viewpoints either. And, uh, and so the title, Regrace, is all about rediscovering grace and uh, extending grace when we have a disagreement, when we don't see eye-to-eye with another believer. All right, so, so Frank, for those who don't know you, you're, you're a careful student of the Word. You've done in-depth biblical surveys, going through scriptures on different subjects and things like that. And you don't have the viewpoint of anything goes. You'll sometimes shoot me a note asking about a particular issue or a particular author to get a perspective of where they're coming from, etc. So before we get into some specifics here, and obviously folks need, need to get the book to get the whole perspective, and then as you weigh in and give comment. But does orthodoxy matter? Should we have set beliefs that we're passionate about? And, and should we say certain things are outside the faith and, and are actual heresy? Does anything go? Yeah, anything doesn't go. Uh, and that's, you know, really the heart of the question is not what does one believe, but how do we handle ourselves when we come across a disagreement? And not everything is heresy, you know. Uh, unfortunately, that's become a word that's just thrown out so loosely. I mean, uh, you probably lost count of the number of times you've been called a heretic. I know I have. <laughs> yep. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, a, a, a hypocrite is someone who complains about the sex, violence, and profanity on their DVD player. And a heretic today is anyone who disagrees with your theology, so yeah. to speak. And uh, therefore, you know, everybody's calling each other heretics. There are certainly, uh, there's certainly a test of orthodoxy, and I have a whole chapter in, in the book that describes that. But this comes down to how do we handle ourselves, and how do we have a conversation with someone when we come against a disagreement? And that's really where things break down. Christians no longer are able to either, on the one hand, agree to disagree, or on the, on the other hand, to be able to disagree graciously. And I think you are a great example of someone who has some very strong and passionate views regarding what Scripture says about a number of things, but yet I have never seen you become hostile. I've never seen you become anything but gracious toward those who disagree with you. And, you know, you know how to engage people with questions, and so that's really what this book is trying to do, is to show people practically, on the one hand, how to disagree graciously and in a Christ-like way, but also, on the other hand, to realize that we do need to extend some grace to other believers uh, just because we may disagree with them. Uh, You know, you and I know people who are of the opinion that the gifts of the Spirit have passed away. 
right? Uh, yep. We've written books on it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some of those people are very strong in their view, so much so that they would say that, you know, all the charismatics are going to hell. Um, that's an example of not being gracious in your disagreement. But even those people, many of them I receive as brethren in the Lord, even though I disagree with them. And uh, that's, really what, that's really what we're talking about in the book, is how to extend grace to people and how to disagree agreeably and, uh, and, and just return the Christian witness of being gracious people who don't immediately cut individuals off because we have a disagreement over doctrine or politics. All right, friends, the book Regrace, literally hot off the press, published by Baker Books. And the reason for giving illustrations about other leaders is that these are people whom we respect. These are people who we will quote quite freely. And yet, if they were alive today, some of them maybe, but most, you know, from, from the past, if they were alive today, they get slammed, you know, they, they'd be called heretics and, and they, for some of their beliefs. So let, let's, let's give a specific, um, you got a whole bunch to pick from, but let's start. You, you pick it, maybe one that, that you think our listeners and viewers might not be familiar with. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's talk about C.S. Lewis. Now, C.S. Lewis is someone who I have great high regard for. He was one of the greatest Christian apologetics uh, apologists, defenders of the faith in history, and the man was just absolutely brilliant. And I have no question that he knew the Lord. But even the great C.S. Lewis did not have immaculate perception. Uh, for example, uh, he believed in praying for the dead. And, and Michael, he not only believed it, he made the statement that it was so spontaneous to him that the the only the most compulsive theological case against it would deter him from doing it. He just could not envision himself not praying for dead people. All right? So <laughs> we have no scriptural evidence of praying for the dead in the Bible, and a case can be made that, you know, it's contrary to Scripture, yet he believed that. Uh, he also believed in purgatory, purgatorial cleansing, that after people died— there was a period of testing and cleansing. And even beyond that, something that many Christians would find surprising is that he believed it was possible for some unbelievers to find salvation after they had left this world. Now, he was not a universalist. Uh, he, he didn't believe in ultimate reconciliation, but he did hold to the possibility that some believers would, in fact, find salvation, or some people, rather, after they died. Now, I use him as an illustration that for many Christians, C.S. Lewis is, is a hero. For many Christians, you know, you don't get any better than Lewis in defending the Christian faith against atheism and agnostics. But here's the thing. He didn't see all things clearly. He didn't have perfect understanding of Scripture or theology, and yet God used him and used him mightily. And if that's the case, if C.S. Lewis wasn't perfect in his views, then how much more gracious should I be when I come across another believer in Christ who clearly has evidence that they're following the Lord, and they have missed it in my view on theology or politics or doctrine? Got it. And, and C.S. Lewis, of course, is someone that I quote all the time and whose, whose books, he, he was considered to be by top Christian leaders, 
the most influential Christian author of the 20th century. A major survey was done a few years back, and and uh, when leader after leader after leader had to pick someone, his name came up the most. And obviously, these other beliefs were not major things that he put forward, and they're things right. that we absolutely differ with scripturally. But some absolutely based on that would brand him a heretic. Look, Billy Graham had just passed from this world, and I'm reading websites saying he's now in hell getting his due reward. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, so, so, friends, let me just go through the table of contents uh, after asking why this book and then laying out some foundations, honoring those with whom you disagree. It's not a blood sport. All right, check this out. Are you ready? This is in the new book, Regrace, just out today by Frank Viola. The Shocking Beliefs of C.S. Lewis, The Shocking Beliefs of Jonathan Edwards, The Shocking Beliefs of Martin Luther, The Shocking Beliefs of John Calvin, the Shocking Beliefs of Augustine. The Shocking Beliefs of John Wesley. The Shocking Beliefs of Charles Spurgeon. The Shocking Beliefs of D.L. Moody. And Seven Shocking Statements by Billy Graham. And then The New Tolerance. And then You Might Be a Pharisee, etc. Uh, listen, friends. Frank's intention is to mess with you to challenge you to think in a godly way, in a Christian way, in a mature way. Look, when I debate Jewish rabbis with whom I passionately differ, and, and these are life and death issues for us, I'm still going to do so in a way that is respectful and gracious towards them as I confront what I believe is serious error. How much more those who are fellow believers and those who are right on the fringe. We'll be back. The book, Regrace by Frank Viola. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I'm speaking with my friend Frank Viola about his new book, which is Regrace, which takes you back into the shocking beliefs of some great Christian leaders. <laughs> and you know, Frank, as I was reading the table of contents out loud, I was picturing people like, well, that I don't look to that one, well, uh, you know, like hoping that they could dodge this, but you got it <laughs> right. pretty well covered. I mean, you, you've got from Calvin and Luther to, to Wesley, you know, and you've got Spurgeon and, and Moody and, 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 you know, from Augustine to Billy Graham. So in each of these cases, what you're saying is that, that we treat leaders from the past with greater respect and with more tolerance towards what may have been some blemishes in their theology or beliefs, uh, we don't do the same with each other t today, which is a really dangerous double standard. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact is that most Christians aren't aware of some of the shocking, surprising, and flawed views that these great Christians had. You know, so when you shine the light on that, and, you know, for example, I have friends who are Calvin fanatics. I mean, they think, you know, John Calvin was, um, you know, just under Jesus Christ, you know? Yep, yep. And yet, when they read this and they realize, well, wait a minute, you know, this guy didn't have such a perfect theology as I thought, 
the effect has to be to step back a little bit and say, look, if my hero didn't get everything right, but how much more should I be more gracious, you know, more patient with other believers? And here's the thing, Michael. If any Christian is honest with themselves, if they go back decades, I know for me, you know, 35 years ago, if I made uh, doctrinal perfection the standard of um, fellowship, I would have had to excommunicate myself 35 years ago. Yep. <laughs> because yep. I, my, my views have evolved and changed. I think the great example we have of this is in Acts 18. We have a guy named Apollos, who was an incredibly gifted teacher. He came to Jesus Christ. He was a Jew who was Hellenized, so he understood the Greek mindset. He was going into the synagogues, and he was preaching Jesus Christ like a house of fire. But he did not understand the gospel completely. He had some blind spots. And in Acts 18, the Scripture tells us that Priscilla and Aquila listened to him. They were impressed with him. But then they took him privately on the side, and the Scripture says they explained the way of God more accurately to Apollos. They didn't scold him. They didn't cut him off. They didn't brand him as a heretic. They didn't denigrate him or lambast him. They explained to him the gospel more fully, more accurately. And then the Scripture says, which is really surprising to me, it says... They sent him to Corinth, to Achaia, which is southern Greece. They sent him there, and they wrote a letter to the brothers and sisters in Corinth saying, Welcome, Apollos. Now that is how a man of God or a woman of God reacts when someone has missed it in our eyes. Yeah, I'm, I am uh, close friends with Dr. James White, and he's an apologist, he's a polemicist, he's a theologian. He is a staunch Calvinist. I am not a staunch Calvinist. I'm a staunch un-Calvinist. He is non-charismatic. I'm charismatic. Uh, And and we've had, we have plenty of differences. We've debated each other quite a few times. I did a show with him last week where we just laid out our differences on the atonement. And we do it as brothers in the Lord. I had him speak to our students in our ministry school and had him preach from our pulpit on Sunday morning at, at Fire Church. And he brought a wonderful message that, that every believing Christian should be able to shout an amen to from Philippians, the second chapter. What bothers me and disturbs me is people are so thrilled with our friendship and our partnership for the gospel in the midst of our differences. That should be the norm. That should yes. be just the way it is. And look, a little humility would indicate that unless I personally think that I alone am right on all points, that, that I, I, yeah, on the fundamentals, we'll die for those. But there are plenty of other issues to think that I'm right on every last thing that I believe, that, that I'm the only person on the planet and everybody else is wrong, or my little fellowship or group. So there, there's an arrogance with that that, you know, does not honor the rest of the body and thinks that I have it all. So if we come with humility, you know, I can say, Frank, I totally disagree with you on that, man. Wow, I think that's completely off base. Well, how did you get that idea? Tell me where you're coming from. Let me explain it. And then if these are things with, within the parameters of orthodoxy, we bless each other, love each other, and walk on, uh, as, as opposed to the bloodletting. Yeah, absolutely, as opposed to the bloodletting. Well, A.W. Tozer made this statement. I have a lot of quotes like this in the book. He said, you can be as straight as a gun barrel, 
theologically and just as empty as one spiritually. Mm. And what's more important to Jesus Christ, our Lord, is how we treat other people, even beyond being mentally or intellectually correct. Because if you're theologically correct, and if you're politically correct, well, using it in, a, in the right sense, right, you're, you, you're, your politics is in line with Scripture, but you treat people in a nasty, vindictive, unkind way, then you're wrong, even though right. you may be right, you see? Yep. And so, and so that's, what, uh, that's what the book is all about, and it gives practical handles on how to actually disagree with someone in an agreeable way. I want to read one uh, little quote here that to me was probably the most powerful in the whole book, um, and it's it sort of exemplified by your relationship with, with James White. George Whitfield and John Wesley. Now, these were two yep. movers and shakers during the Great Awakenings. Both of them were incredible evangelists. They both, you know, sacrificed their lives for the Lord, but they totally disagreed theologically. George Whitfield was a hardcore Calvinist. And John Wesley was a hardcore Arminian. Yep. And so they totally disagreed on theology. But here is, here is the thing that just is amazing. George, Fit, George Whitfield was asked, George, will we see John Wesley in heaven? And his response was a shocker. He said this, George Whitfield says of John Wesley, I fear not, for he will be so near the eternal throne be at such a distance, we shall hardly get sight of him. Yep. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and Frank, let, let me let me take that one step further. So Whitfield lived 1714 to 1770. John Wesley lived 1703 to 1791. So he outlived Whitfield. So he was there to see Whitfield pass from this world. And I've read that he was asked that same question and gave the same answer. Yes, so that is right. Uh, yeah. So how how utterly remarkable. All right. Listen, folks, you got to get the book. It's an eye opener. And again, it's all practical, practical. Pra this is a brilliant way to combat the nastiness and the ugliness that's out there. But we've got two minutes. Give me a sample of a shocking belief of Charles Spurgeon. Oh, Charles Spurgeon. My goodness. Well, I'll tell you this. He believed it was okay to smoke cigars to the glory of God. And in that time, that was a real shocker. He, he caught it from newspapers, fellow Christians, you know, because in that day, tobacco was evil. And many Christians today would feel the same way. But he made a case that he had liberty in Christ to smoke cigars. Whether you agree with him or not, whether you think he was wrong on that or not, Charles Spurgeon was a man of God. He sacrificed for the Lord, and he led many, many, many people to Christ. You know, I, I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe you researched it, but I I heard the story that D.L. Moody came into to Spurgeon and told him he needed to, to get rid of the cigars, and Spurgeon pointed to Moody's belly and said, I'll get rid of the cigars when you get rid of that. I don't know if that's true or not. Yes. You know, I have looked that uh, the sourcing up for that, and I cannot find it anywhere. Uh, yeah. That doesn't mean it didn't happen, but I didn't put it in the book uh, just because of that fact. I, I couldn't find it anywhere. But it yeah. makes a compelling point, and that is Christians tend to pick the sins that uh, they don't like uh, in condemning others and then ignore their own. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's why, again, 
listen, by God's grace, I'm serving the Lord. I'm, I'm living as a serious believer before him. But I understand that I'm perfect in Jesus, not in myself. Amen. I understand how merciful he's been, how many times he's forgiven me. Yeah. You know, when people say, you know, Dr. Brown, you're so gracious with others. I said, well, God's very gracious with me, actually. Right. And, and when we realize that, we want to extend it to others. And, and listen, if we'll do this, we can, we can further sharpen and understand where our differences are and what we yeah. believe and why through civil dialogue and interaction instead of excommunicating each other and, and destroying each other. And especially when the world is so hostile and lost, we, we need to recognize Jesus continues to pray for our unity. And it's as yeah. we love one another, as he loved us, that the world sees that he sent him, sent us friends, the book by Frank Viola regrace out today. So glad we could have you on the day of the book's release, man. Keep putting these out. This one's unique. And I think is going to minister to a lot of people. Thanks so much, Michael. I'm privileged. All right. God bless. All right, friends, all that said from the heart, not radio hype here. Uh, you'll, you'll find this really, really interesting read. And it, and it doesn't, it doesn't diminish our respect for those who've gone before us. It makes us realize that sometimes we can be so sharply critical that we throw out just about everybody. So yeah, hold to orthodox beliefs, defend the faith. Don't draw back from that. Speak the truth in love. Let's pursue these things. Let's expose error. Absolutely, yes. Let's do it in a way that glorifies Jesus. And so a watching world will not be repulsed by it. All right, friends, we're out of here. Back with you tomorrow. Change the world.